speak to each one of us what you want us to know today. We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen and good morning. Good morning. I know it's a a rainy day, but it's still a beautiful day because we are gathered here together as the people of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, we are uh, moving into our series on our vision and our mission. And I'm really excited to share with you uh, where we're going in the series as we are looking at the idea of of what our vision and mission encompasses. And let me just share with you the the scripture that as the elders and I were praying and asking the Lord for uh, the fresh vision that he would have for us, the passage that kept coming to mind uh, is from the the book of Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. And this is Jesus in Nazareth and he stands up in the synagogue. And it says this, starting in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As we look at our new vision, it is to be a church that aspires to proclaim the gospel, to be a refuge, and to restore our relationships to God and to others. And that can be encompassed in that specific passage as we see Jesus saying all of those things. And as we open up with our our missions conference, which I'm really excited about, is we're going to be worshiping the Lord together in this room uh, all week long. It's not just a Sunday thing, it's going to be an all-week thing. And, and I really do pray that you show up this week as we enjoy worship through song with Jake Furman and the uh, Somerset Alliance uh, Band, as well as hearing messages from Tim and uh, from David later on in the week. Somebody asked me, why, why is the 11 highlighted here? Why is it almost 11 o'clock? And I said, well, that's how long we're going to be worshiping the Lord, every night till 11 p.m. No, I'm just joking. That's, that's not true. It's the 11th hour moving into the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I want to share with you the idea of aspiring. We're going to highlight each word. And today, when we look at our, our vision, we desire to be a people who aspire to do the rest of what God calls us to. And as, as we look at the idea of aspire, it means that we need to be dependent, that we know we can't do it on our own. And so in that vein, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verse 16. But before we do that, if you would bow your head in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who sent his son to die for us, that we can be part of your family, that we can be saved and rescued, that our sins can no longer be counted against us when we believe in you. Father, I pray that as we launch into our missions conference and as we launch into this series on our vision and mission, I pray that you'll speak deeply to our hearts. And as we recognize this morning that it all begins with a dependence upon your spirit. It all begins with the wisdom of surrender. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak through me and that you'll speak to each and every one of our hearts as I know that I'm preaching to myself every time I get up here. It's not just a message for the church, it's a message for me as well. And so I pray you'll be with us. 
May we read your word for transformation, not just education. In your name, amen. Amen. I may have told some of you this story on a, on a personal level, probably while you were at my house uh, for Meet the Nelsons, but there was a specific time in my life where God really called me out of myself. And I was a junior in college, and I was uh, interning with the Metro District Office and as a youth intern at a church in Bedminster, New Jersey. And as I was interning at both of those places, I interacted with a youth pastor named Nick, and I interacted with a person from the district office named Doug. And they, it came time for my yearly review. You know how you looked forward to those all the time in the workplace. And, and I was taken to a restaurant, P.F. Chang's, by the way, by uh, this guy named Doug. I remember it so vividly because it was an impactful lunch, probably one of the most impacting lunches I've ever had in my life. And he sat me down and we're talking and he's about to review and I'm thinking, man, I'm doing great in this job. I'm, I'm like the best intern either of these folks have ever experienced in their life. He's just going to give me A plus after A plus after A plus. And that's why he's buying me this food. It is a celebratory meal. Well, as I set it up, that's not exactly how it went down. As we're spending time there, he's like, Marvin, you know, I just have a really important question to ask you. He said, do you want to be a good pastor or a great pastor? And, you know, I wasn't about to say this, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I already am a great pastor. That's about what he's, he's setting me up for him to say that to me, right? And so I said, well, of course, I want to be a great pastor. And he said, okay, then go to counseling. Wait a second, What? I mean, go to counseling. I'm a, I mean, I'm studying to counsel other people. Why do I need counseling? You know, that doesn't make any sense. And he said, yeah, and you need to take personal spiritual formation with Ron Walborn. That's what you need to do to be a great pastor. And, you know, I went away from that saying, oh, okay, you know, I'll pray about it. You know, that, that typical, I'm going to pray about it. I'm probably not going to think about this ever again type of statement. But I, I go and I'm like, okay, I'm wrestling with it. I call my dad and I say, Dad, you would never believe what Doug said to me. Never. And he said, oh, I believe it. I agree with him. Ah, okay. That's not fair, right? So then I call my fiance, right? Hillary, I am the most amazing man in the world to you, am I not? Well, yes, of course you are. You know, I'm marrying you for that reason. You never believe what Doug said to me. He said, I need to go to counseling. And she said, well... You probably should. I agree. I said, no, you're supposed to be the one that says you're perfect. You're amazing. You don't need to go. And, and that just wasn't the case. And I wrestled with this for days. And I wrestled and wrestled and really came to this place where I said, God, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to be embarrassed to go to counseling? And I'm supposed to be counseling other people. And the Lord just kept impressing upon me that I needed to do what God was calling me to do. And I finally acquiesced because I knew my dad was going to ask me and Hillary was going to ask me. And I didn't want to go into marriage not having this one thing done because then she would hold it over me and say why didn't you do this see this is why this is all happening no she would never do that but the reality is is I knew I needed to surrender but when it comes to our relationship with God and relationship with his mission for our lives and for the church why is it so hard for us to surrender why was it hard for me in that aspect to say yes to something that would be an incredible benefit to me why do we struggle with the idea of surrender? And I believe that refusal to surrender boils down to control and fear. 
Those two things, the refusal to surrender goes down to control and fear. I wanted to be the best pastor ever, so I was afraid that if I admitted I needed help, that I would never be the pastor I wanted to be. And I also wanted to control everything. I was thinking, well, I'm in charge of this whole moving into my calling thing. Who are you? Just standing there telling me about my life. I know where I'm supposed to go. But no, I needed to surrender. And there are many times in my life, I'll be honest, where God called me to surrender that I didn't surrender. So this isn't a matter of Pastor Marv's perfect and he always surrenders. But the reality is, is that we are all called to surrender. But it is a difficult thing because we enjoy control. And we're afraid of what would happen if we release that control. We asked God, why would you ask me to leave up control? How do, how do I regain the control? As we talk about where God is taking us as a church and us as a leadership team, we're just saying, God, you're going to be in control. And there might be times where the elders and myself and many other people might say, hold on, hold on, hold on. We don't need to go that way. We need to control where we're going. We can't just surrender to the Lord and everything. But I tell you that we have to, if we are going to be a church that aspires, we need to be a church that surrenders. We may feel like we know best, but God knows best. I believe that there is wisdom in surrender. Surrender is one of those words when in military terms, it's an, an embarrassing thing, right? You raise the white flag and you say, okay, you're a better army than we are. We're going to be defeated. We don't want us to all die. And then you take over. We'll just surrender and we'll give you what you need. You're stronger than we are. And so we think that's kind of an embarrassing thing. But in our faith, when it comes to surrender, we're raising the white, white flag and saying, God, you are more powerful. You are all-knowing. I am not. I surrender to you. But that doesn't make it easy. And Paul is going to talk about this idea of surrender in this portion of Scripture. He's going to answer the question, how can we be wise and surrender? And this is not just a personal aspect. This is corporate. As we're talking about the vision and the mission of our church, I want us to think through the idea of a corporate lens. Paul was talking to an entire church. There are individual things that you and I can grab, and some of it is going to be repetitive from the book of Ephesians because sometimes God needs to repeat himself for it to, to go to our hearts. So how can we be wise and surrender? And so we're going to read 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 2, 16. It is a big chunk of scripture. So uh, just bear with me as we end that because there's so many, so many things that we can unpack. 1 Corinthians verses 18 through chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. The word of the Lord says this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would, have crucif- they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor hear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, that God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God. And we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are, not, they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I know that's a huge chunk of Scripture, but it all deals with this idea of wisdom and surrender and understanding that if we aspire, we must be people who lean upon the Holy Spirit. I don't have a whole lot of time to give a ton of background on the book of Corinthians, but the church in Corinth was a really messed up church, but they were also seeing God do great things among them. If you were to go just a little bit before that passage, you would see that they argued, who has the best philosophy Christian teacher? I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. There was a whole ton of arrogance that was going on within the church, and Paul needed to correct their false ideas of themselves. He needed to take this amount of time in the beginning of this book to say it's not about your wisdom. It's not about who the greatest philosopher is. It's not about how many degrees you have. You can have as many degrees as Fahrenheit, but you can still be stupid when it comes to the Lord's will. And so he challenges them with this understanding of God's wisdom, of surrendering to God's wisdom. And so the very first thing that we can see that Paul is saying to the church in Corinth and to us is that in order for us to be wise and surrender, we must first recognize our inadequacy and realize his sufficiency. 
realize his sufficiency. You see, they walked around thinking that they had everything that they needed. Just like in that moment while I was at P.F. Chang's and I thought I was the greatest pastor to ever walk upon the earth, second to Jesus. I had some real issues that I needed to deal with. I had to go to counseling. I had to wrestle with what was going on inside. And so Paul is exposing these realities. There was division among the Jews and among the Greeks. And the, the, it was offensive. The gospel of Jesus was offensive to Jews. And it was folly. It was foolishness. It didn't make sense to the Gentiles. But when they came into faith and they said, oh, now it makes sense, they thought they had it all down. They thought, wow, we're the bee's knees of churches. God is manifesting himself among us. We've really got this thing down. The Holy Spirit is just falling upon us and people are coming to know Jesus left and right. We are the best church that Paul has ever planted. And Paul's like, no, you're not. You need to recognize your own inadequacy. And you need to realize God's sufficiency. Everything we need is in the Lord. If you and I are going to aspire as a church to proclaim the gospel, to be a refuge, and to restore relationships of God and others, we need to first understand that we can't do it. Wow, that's a motivational speech, pastor. Here's what God's calling us to do, and you can't do it. We can't. We must depend upon the Lord. We must recognize that we do come with nothing and he gives us everything. Now you're saying, I know I've heard that before because I've said it from the book of Ephesians. We talked about this. We have to remind ourselves on an almost daily basis. I know that I do. I have to look at the mirror and say, man, you're nothing. God's everything. Because if we think too highly of ourselves, then we'll go down the wrong path. And so we need to be reminded in order to have the wisdom of surrender, in order to surrender, we must recognize that we need to. If you're on a battlefield and you think that you're a better, uh, a better set of warriors, that you have better soldiers, and you're not looking at the reality of the fact that you're getting destroyed, that you cannot win this war, but you keep fighting and you keep fighting, eventually you're going to be taken over and annihilated. So he's saying, look, before you get to that place, recognize that I am the battle chief that you must follow, as we talked about last week, that I am the one who gives you power, that you are not power in and of yourselves. And as you look into the book of Corinthians as well, we talked about the Holy Spirit really showing up in their church. They began to desire the power of God more than they desired his presence. They wanted the manifestations of power and they were excited about what God was doing and they began to seek after the gifts and actually miss the giver in the midst of it. And so they, they slowly realized that, that they, th or they slowly thought that they realized that they had the power, but they didn't. And this is kind of this idea of seeking after the wrong thing. And so when it comes to our idea of the wisdom of surrender, Paul slowly, smallly puts this in there that we must seek God's face and not just his hands. Because many times we want God to do things for us, but we're not willing to surrender to him. And so we might realize that God has some power and we need that, but we're seeking after the power rather than himself for himself. And if we are going to be a church that aspires to do what God has called us to do, we must seek the face of the Lord. We must be on our knees seeking his face. And here's the 
powerful truth is that when we seek his face, the gifts and the power will follow. But if we seek the power and we see a little bit of those things, his presence is not following. And so we do not have the eternal impact that we can. The Lord desires for our church to be a church of eternal impact, not just temporal impact. And in order to do that, we need to seek the face of God. And it can't just be me and the elders. It must be all of us. God is going to do incredible things among us. But we all must be on the same page of seeking after the face of God so that we can aspire, being dependent upon Him, surrendering to Him to give us the ability to do what He's called us to do. We must seek after His face The Corinthian church, like I said, was living arrogantly, but Paul called them out, especially in verse 25 of chapter 1. He says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. (laughs) In their arrogance, they thought that their wisdom was enough. And he's like, look, God can have his worst day ever. And it's still tremendously better than your best day could ever hope to be. He was pushing them down pretty, pretty strong. And if that were to be said to us, we must look and, he, you know, we can say, we can quote this and we say, yeah, but how many times do you and I think that our wisdom is enough, that our capabilities are enough, that our talents or our gifts are enough? Because once we rely upon those rather than relying upon him, God's going to have to come down and tell us, hey, my foolishness, my worst day is light years better than your worst, than your best rather. And my best day, don't even think about it. You can't even touch my best day. You can't even imagine my best day. It would blow your mind. You'd die because my best day is that good. That's how we need to recognize and see God in the awe of that fear of saying, wow, his best day could blow me to bits, literally. That's how we recognize that we do not have what it takes, but he does, filling us as we seek his face. You see, many of us can live as if God is an addition rather than our all. The Corinthian culture upheld wisdom and philosophy as the thing of utmost importance. And so as these new Greeks and Gentiles were walking into the church, they were adding Jesus to their philosophies. They walked in thinking, man, we are so smart. I have so many degrees. People listen to me. I'm an orator. I can just stand out and people just love my brain. They are in love with my brain. That's how awesome I am. And when they came into the church and they came into salvation, they said, it's my brain and Jesus. He's an addition. But he demands to be are all. It's not about our business sense. It's not about our whatever job that we're in. It's not about our nursing skills. It's not about our doctoring skills. It's not about our piloting skills. It's not about our being behind the Burger King skills. What it is, is it's his all. We need him to be our all. When we approach church and when we approach moving in his vision, we must bow down to the king. We must not try to use all these other things in the world. He must be our all. One of the most dangerous and awesome things in in my line of work are conferences and really good books. 
Many times pastors will go to conferences, and maybe this is the same with your particular job or your boss or whatever, but many times pastors will go to conferences and they'll hear some great things and they'll see these people in the, hey, I have a 5,000 person church and, and here X, Y, Z of what I did. And that pastor goes into the church elders meeting. He says, we need to do X, Y, Z. 5,000 people, just imagine it. But they all of a sudden leave the idea of the Holy Spirit and they bow down to X, Y, Z rather than to Jesus. And you and I, we cannot do that. We cannot add these different things. There might be good knowledge that we can grab. And I guarantee if I ever do any of that, if I go to a conference and say, hey, X, Y, Z needs to happen, say, no, where's the Holy Spirit? Because God's gonna call us to something that is specific to who we are. And God is already developing and birthing that. But he needs to be our all. And if we are going to see internal, eternal impact as a church, we cannot have Jesus as an addition. He must be our everything. Everything. Our all. We cannot lean upon human wisdom. And when we do lean upon God, and when we do make him our all, he's going to show up. But here's the thing. When God shows up, we must point to him and not to ourselves. You see, the Corinthian church, they saw God doing some great, incredible things, and they pointed to themselves. They said, wow, look how great we are. Ephesus, you should come hang out with us because we know what we're doing. You don't. But we need to point to him. And when God moves, we can't point to the elders can't point to me. There's too many pastors that when God is moving, they say, oh, I'm so awesome. Let me write 17,000 books, which I'm not even really writing. I'm just telling other people to write for me. And I'm going to be really popular and I'm going to be really incredible. If I ever have that attitude, if I go back to where I was, please beat me down with the, the, the name of Jesus and the book of the Lord. I give you free reign to do that. Because it's imperative that if we are really going to have eternal impact as a church, it must be about His glory. And I know for a fact that God is going to do stuff. He has already been doing stuff in our church. He's been moving. God has been speaking. God has been challenging. God has been growing. God has been convicting. God's presence has been coming. And He wants to continue doing it. But it's not about me, it's not about the elders, it's not about the business board, it's not about you, it's about him. So how are we wise and surrender? We point to him when God shows up. Warren Wearsby said of this passage, the Corinthians had a tendency to be puffed up with pride. But the gospel of God's grace leaves no room for personal boasting. Paul said, if I boast at all, I boast in the Lord. That's who we should be bragging on. We should be bragging on Jesus. Wow, look at, look at what God has done with the Bible quizzing juniors and the seniors. They've been growing and God's been doing great things. Praise the Lord. God did that. All the different things that we see are echo mid and, and people wanting to be a part of our middle school ministry, working with our middle school students. Praise God. Brian didn't do that. I didn't do that. God did that. So as we can continue to see these things happen, we need to give the glory where the glory is due. And if anyone takes the glory, we need to say, look, we need to boast in the Lord. 
We cannot boast in ourselves. God is sufficient while we are insufficient. Paul in these passages is saying that if we surrender in everything, it will in fact change everything. And that's where we fear losing control because, hey, if God really is in control, if we really do surrender to God, some things that, that we weren't ready for or things that we didn't feel like we could move into yet or these different things that God is trying to expand or he's asking us to pull back, man, I, oh, I don't, I don't want to release that. But it will change everything and it's okay when everything changes because we are under the headship and lordship and leadership of God, everything will be okay. Even when pain comes, and as I said last week, the enemy is going to try and attack us, as we aspire to be Holy Spirit-dependent people, the enemy's worst fear is a people of God dependent upon the Holy Spirit, surrendered and bowed before the Father. Because he knows that that is a tool that God can wield. That those are a people that God can use to explode the gospel in their area. So may we aspire to be people who are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And it will change everything. He comes to the next point as, he, as we look at chapter 2. Rest our faith in God's power and not man's wisdom. We must rest our faith in God's power and not man's wisdom. We cannot look to the world's wisdom to do God's work. And that might work in different scenarios of business or of hospitals or wherever, schools, or even your classroom. There could be places where you say, I can lean upon my own wisdom to get an A. But the reality of the truth of the gospel is when we are a people of God doing his will on the earth, we cannot bow to man's wisdom. We must bow and surrender to the Spirit's power. We must allow him to lead and him to guide. If we aspire to do these things, it is a confession that we cannot do it on our own. We must have dependence. We must rest in his power. Because a church's vision is realized only through spirit-filled dependence. The vision that the Lord has given the elders and myself and, and we're moving forward into aspiring to proclaim the gospel to be a refuge and to restore our relationships with God and others, to do that, it must be spirit-filled dependence. Because we might be able to do that on an okay level. We might even look really good as we're doing it, but if it's not spirit-filled dependence, it's not going to have eternal ramifications. And my prayer is that we will be an eternally ramified church, if that's even a word. That we'll be a church that has eternal ramifications, not temporal ones. We move, we push back the darkness, and we are spirit-filled, spirit-dependent men and women. Tozer once said of this specific passage, You see, the Holy Spirit rules out and excludes all Adam's flesh, all human brightness, all that scintillating human personality, human ability, and human efficiency. The Holy Spirit rules it all out. Rules it all out. So we must be people who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And you know, you probably have said, wow, this guy talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. It's important that we understand who he is and how he works within us to glorify Jesus. 
And so I will preach the Holy Spirit over and over and over again as we understand how we are to surrender and depend upon Him, allow Him to fill us, allow Him to move us, allow Him to guide us so that we can fulfill His main goal, and that is to glorify Jesus. Holy Spirit-filled dependence is the only way that we can move forward. And I pray that we have the discernment to know when we've fallen off that train. When I've fallen off that train, may you have the discernment to say, hey, have you been spending time with Jesus? Are we moving the train through the Holy Spirit or are you trying to do something different? That's accountability. We should be able to hold leadership accountable. And I want to be accountable that if I'm not following the Holy Spirit and you can tell, call me out. I know that's not a normal thing for most leaders to say, but it is an imperative one when it comes to the mission of the church. Because no man has the right to stand in front of what God is doing. No woman, no person. Okay, that came out of nowhere, but that was the Lord, I believe it. If we as a church aspire to move forward, we must rely upon the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. And let me just move on to an aside because we're really going to focus on this next week. But when it comes to man's wisdom, a lot, of, a lot of wisdom talk happens in the idea of evangelism, where we think that we have to convince people or that we have to force them to believe what we believe. But Paul in this passage says very clearly that I came without wise words, but with the Spirit's power. I didn't bring philosophical uh, ideals that transformed your mind into believing what I was saying because I was so smart and so wise. I came with the words of the Holy Spirit. And it enlivens something within you. And as we talk about proclaiming the gospel next week, we're going to be looking at that portion of Acts where Paul is before the Areopagus and he's explaining who the unknown God is. What does that look like to depend upon the Holy Spirit in evangelism? Because I've seen so much evangelism where it goes, it's, it's like, hey, let's have a notch of numbers that you need to go talk to this person, talk to this person, talk to this person. But there's no conversation. I have never heard at one of these conferences Pray before you go to the person. Pray and ask the Lord, who is it that I'm actually supposed to speak to? Because he'll highlight someone. And it'll be crazy, ridiculously awesome. Because that time and that set-up moment where we talked about that chirotic moment, that's what we're looking for. So as we are going to talk about proclaiming the gospel, that's just an aside, and I'll come back to that portion of Scripture. Because it's imperative that we depend upon him for that as well. One of the most incredible promises in Scripture comes at, that, at the end of these verses. At the very end of verse 16, it says, But we have the mind of Christ. You and I only have the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit is giving it to us. But it's a powerful promise as we move forward in our personal lives and as our corporate life as a church. We have the mind of Christ and we can lean upon the Spirit's power to have the mind of Christ. Let me explain to you what I'm saying really quickly in the story of D.L. Moody. Maybe some of you have, have heard D.L. Moody, heard of him. Uh, there's Moody Bible Institute that he founded. He was a great man of the Lord, a great evangelist alongside of, of A.B. Simpson. They were kind of contemporaries at the same time, time frame of, of our uh, American evangelical history. And D.L. Moody was a great preacher. And one day he had a conversation with someone who was interviewing him. And they said, you know, D.L., you've had a lot of people come to the Lord under your preaching. How in the world do you do it? 
And he said, well, here's the secret. The secret's the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, when I first started preaching, I was preaching the gospel. I was preaching my heart out. I was yelling and I was screaming. And no one came to Jesus. And he said, but there was this one moment where I had this, this one time with the Lord where it was so intimate that the Holy Spirit filled me and it changed everything. He said, now I would preach the same exact sermon with the same exact excitement, with the same exact energy, the same words I would preach. And because the Holy Spirit was on my lips and in my heart, thousands came to Jesus. Imagine if he didn't have that intimate moment with the Lord. Imagine that he didn't surrender to the Holy Spirit to fill him, where he realized it's not about my talents, it's not about my gifts, it's about him and his gifts and his power. Imagine if he didn't surrender. There would be no Moody Bible Institute. Thousands of people would not have come to the Lord. You and I must be people who surrender to the wisdom of the Lord. We must be people who surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and not our own power. We are to be a people of surrender and dependence, but we tend to be people of self-reliance. I truly believe that revival is coming, that God wants to do incredible things here in Indiana, that God wants to show up in powerful, miraculous ways. Will we surrender and allow him to do it? Or will we be self-reliant? So many churches in our, in our Western culture are self-reliant because they have the money and the people and the, the Bible Belt culture around them to help support what they're doing. But we have to be God-dependent, not self-reliant. That's what we're called to be. Tozer said this about the Holy Spirit and the church. He said, if the Holy Spirit, and I believe I've read this before, but it's so important. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. That's quite a quote. 95%. And he said this in the 60s. I think it's even worse statistically today than it was then. I believe it's more like 99% of what the Western church does would continue. And only 1% would notice. My friends, we need to not rely upon what the world tells us to rely upon. We must rely upon the Lord. We must surrender to the Spirit. We must be Spirit-filled people, and we must be a Spirit-filled church. It's about no man. It's about Him alone. And that's how we move forward. That's how God uses us for eternal impact. That's how we move into what we're called. As we aspire to do that which he has called us to, may we lean upon his power. May we lean upon his power. And finally, be wise and surrender to him and his mission, not your own, not my own, not our own. There is so much wisdom in surrender. There's so much wisdom in saying, 
I don't have what it takes. We don't know what we are to do, but he does. And we can rest in that. This week, I'm so encouraged that we're going to be blessed by a young man who is filled with the Holy Spirit to lead us in worship this week. As we walk through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I've seen the Holy Spirit crush this young man that's going to be leading us in worship. His name is Jake. And he's a pastor at Somerset Alliance Church. And God has been using him in mighty ways. And I pray that as we come into Missions Week, that we'll come hungry for the Holy Spirit. That we'll come hungry for how we are to be dependent. I don't think it was an accident that this is the day we talk about our idea of aspiring. I don't think it was an accident that as we launch into Missions Week, we're talking about Holy Spirit dependence. Because I believe that God is going to show up in power this week. I believe that he is going to move us, not just with the mission of the world, but the mission of the Holy Spirit, which then ignites us with the capability to do the mission of the world. Now, he might call some of you to be missionaries, part-time, full-time, America or not. Come ready, come hungry, come ready to say, you know what, God, do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. Call me where you will call me, because we need to be a church that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit and his power, not man's wisdom that's a huge plug for missions conference it's not because we need butts and seats it's because we need hearts that are changed all of us and i pray that we will see the power of the holy spirit as we worship the lord together through song and through the hearing of the word from our missionaries and see what god has been up to through the power of the holy spirit something as i was praying and thinking through this idea is that we, we need to be hungry for this. We need to be people who are hungry. And as the Lord was saying that, something came to mind as I was praying in, this, in the sanctuary this morning. And I fully believe that the older generation is going to lead the way of hunger. Here's what I mean by that. Many times in our culture, the older generations don't feel like the younger generations feel like they need them. But I tell you right now, we need you. We need you. As the older generation, you can lead the way of hunger. Show the younger generation what it looks like to hunger and thirst and pant after God. And I guarantee you there will be a following of the younger generation saying they know what it's about. And so I want to challenge those of you in the older generation, to rise up and lead through hunger. Lead us as you hunger and thirst for the presence of the Lord. Your time is not done. In many ways, your time has just begun. And so I ask for you to rise up, to show us and lead the way of hunger. I think it will transform this church in a powerful way. And I'm ready to be hungry. I'm ready to see our church have hunger pangs for the Lord. And he's going to do incredible things. And as I was ending with that, a song came to my mind. And it's hymn 159. And I, I learned it a little bit differently. It's the song, I Need Thee. And... I don't sing, so bear with me, because I believe the Lord wants this to be the song of our church. 
And I learned it a little bit differently at the end of the refrain. We're only going to sing the refrain. But at the end of the refrain, the way I learned it was that he is my one defense and my righteousness. And so the words might, might not make sense as they do in the refrain there. But the song, and you can sing with me if you remember it, which I'm sure many of you do. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. One more time. I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour I need thee my one defense my righteousness oh God how I need thee God I pray that that will be our prayer God, we do, we need Thee. Every hour, we need Thee. And so as we aspire to be a church that lives into what You've called us to be, may that be the refrain of our hearts. And may we rise up with hunger for more of You as we seek Your face, as we seek Your filling. In the holy, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing a song about the amazing love of Jesus.